This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 50 of the SuperAge podcast. This will be dropping on September the 8th, 2021. So this week, we are just back from vacation. It was in Hawaii for several days, and it was amazing. Uh, it was the first Real vacation I've had in a number of years. In fact, we've been publishing a newsletter, and sometimes a newsletter and a podcast, every week for the last six years. And even if I go somewhere, there would still be what I felt was like the burden to keep doing this. And last week, I didn't do it because I wanted like a real vacation where I didn't have to think about things. And I was pretty sure all of you would be just fine without me for a week. And it turned out true. Uh, you know, on this vacation which I still feel fantastic from. I feel just like, I don't know. It's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't realize how stressed out I was until I came back. And I don't feel that anymore. Uh, you know, one of the things, that, there's just so many great things about vacations, but one of them is we reduce our stress levels, right? And by reducing your stress level, you can reduce the epigenetic expression of your underlying DNA. In other words, you'll have a better health outcome and lifespan outcome because really, Something like 80 to 90% of those things are not really based so much on things that are locked into our DNA. It's the epigenetic expression, meaning how we're behaving, that's causing different genes to express in different ways. So that's really great. And you get to spend time with your family and you get to have a great time. And, you know, for me, I got to go surfing again, which I love to do. Uh, I'm still kind of like high on that, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, but a lot of this was brought on by some conversations that I've had with uh, this week's guest, Dr. Mike Roizen, who said to me, you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can put it on anyone else. In other words, take care of yourself so you can better take care of those around you. And how important it is to take your vacations, to take the weekends off that this sort of culture that we're in of like, well, you know, work, 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 and uh, somehow like it's some sort of badge of honor to not take vacations or to work on weekends or, you know, oh, I work 16 hours a day. How great am I? <laughs> this is nonsense. Um, you know, we really need this downtime to actually perform better with the times that we're on and to take care of ourselves and to, you know, enjoy the life around us. So we're going to hear a lot from Dr. Mike Roizen in just a few minutes. He's going to talk to us about something called TMAO, which is a protein that seems to have a really powerful effect on cardiac outcomes, good and bad, uh, and a whole lot of other things. So we're going to get with Dr. Mike after just a quick word from our sponsor. This week's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, And this is a platform that I use personally. I very much like and I really support what they're doing. It involves some, a range of blood tests. And from these, you have uh, an app that's a platform that will give you a list of really easy, actionable things you can do to improve your long-term health and your biomarkers. So for myself, I had a pretty dramatic, I had a 17% fall in my LDL over the course of four months. So LDL is known as the bad cholesterol and having less of it is a good thing. And it was really easy. It just, you know, I had to make some dietary adjustments. I had to take some rather simple supplements and it's all food-based. So that's one of the things that I love about Inside Tracker is it's giving you science-based things you can do with basically just the food that you eat which can have a gigantic impact on your outcome. So as Dr. Gil Blander told me, food is medicine. So let's just eat the right food, which will help us improve our health outcomes. Um, go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 25% on all their products. I'm a huge fan. If you have any questions about the platform, the product, 
hit me up. I'm happy to answer them. Dr. Mike Roizen, how are you today? I am great, Dave. How are you? I'm good. So just right off the bat, um, your title now is Chief Wellness Officer Emeritus. Did I get that right? I probably pronounced all that right. Emeritus. Yes. What what, What does that mean? Um, it means I was chief wellness officer and they don't want to lose all of my intelligence and experience and ability to influence. So they've kept me on in an emeritus role, meaning I have uh, I no longer have the administrative um, and leadership responsibilities, but still influence things and still work here. I see patients two days a week and uh the other half day or so, I do uh, things like the Great Age Reboot Workshop, or uh, um, we do a video series for the employees called In the Kitchen with Chef Jim and Dr. Mike, uh, and a whole bunch of community things for wellness as well. So you touched on something here. Those are great. Those Are those videos on Vimeo, the cooking videos? They are uh, vimeo.com slash showcase slash in the kitchen. And there are, I think, 68 of them there. And you wrote a book on food, right? Um, We've written, uh, I've probably got a copy of one of them here so I can show you. uh, I've written uh, several on food. The one that sold best, actually, is called... um, uh, you on a diet that Dr. Oz and I wrote together that sold over uh, two million, over three million copies wow. um, in the U.S. alone. But anyway, the uh, the most recent one is has a cookbook taste to it, and the only reason to the only reason to write books is you have some behavior you want people to change based on the science. At least that's the only reason I write them. There's there's new information you want people to understand and understand how to implement it. So this is essentially it is how to do intermittent fasting in a way that is beneficial to the individual and is easy to do. So these are, uh, I think, 135 recipes um, that are what we call relationship Um you wouldn't marry someone who is trying to kill you every day. You shouldn't eat food that's trying to kill you. Food is a relationship. So you should only eat what you love. Don't waste your calories if you don't love it. But it should love your body back. And that's so all of these recipes are done exactly that way. And they're done in a way that you can eat only in a six or eight hour period so that you can do intermittent fasting in a way that benefits you from an aging standpoint. So that's the what to eat when cookbook. That's the what to eat when cookbook. Correct. And I recall something um, I heard you say a few weeks ago, not all calories are the same that calories in the morning weigh differently than calories in the evening. What, what's that? That's exactly right. So that's why we did this, the circadian rhythm changes not only when you secrete melatonin and go to sleep, but it changes a number of hormones functioning. One of those is insulin, so that you become insulin resistant during the day. You could see this teleologically. We hunted and we needed to be very active in the morning and afternoon. And then when the sun went down, we could get develop insulin resistance. Well, that's exactly what happens, which means that a calorie in the morning is like nine-tenths of a calorie, while calorie in the evening is like 1.1 calories from a standpoint of putting on weight. You become insulin resistant during the day. So eating more early is, in fact, metabolically efficient for you. Wonderful. And one of the other things that you like to say is, and help me, help me if I wrongly paraphrase you, because I, I, I can do that. Um, but I, I, you often say 90 will be the new 40. Talk, talk to me right. about that. So when we started Real Age, it came from a realization that people by self-engineering, by doing things for their health, whether it was physical activity or avoiding red meat or uh, managing stress 
um, or if you will, a whole bunch of things um, that are that are relatively easy to do, changing their diet in other ways, avoiding sugar, etc., that you could make yourself 20 years younger than your calendar age. That's where, and so we said 60 can be the new 40. And we said in real age terms, it's pretty easy to get 20 years younger than your calendar age at age 55, only a little more difficult to get 24 for men and 26 for women, which was the max when we did the initial calculations in that and came out with the real age program in 1998. I'm still pretty proud of that. It's on uh, 45 million phones in the US and 20, 27 million more worldwide. Um, but what we have learned is, and we thought this was all physiologic, that is exercise improved the physiologic functions of the heart, decreased, um, if you will, plaque buildup. But what we've now learned is that what you're really doing is controlling your epigenes. You're changing which of your genes are on by manipulating switches that control your genes. And let me step back a little bit. So the Human Genome Project, when it started in 1991 to three, um, those projects said, um, we've got enough DNA in our nucleus for roughly 300,000 genes, but they only found 22,500. So what did they call the rest of the DNA that they had in 2001 and two and three? They called it junk DNA. But then the ENCODE project looked at what it was seriously. And they came out in about 2009 and said, it is switches, it is epigenes that control which of those genes are producing proteins or not producing proteins. That is which of the genes are on or not. And what they do is they say, does the mRNA, we've learned a lot about mRNA is the translation so that you can produce proteins from the mRNA antibodies in the case of vaccines, but in the case of um, genes, the mRNA lines up or doesn't. If it doesn't line up, that's you've turned that gene off. And so what we've learned is that your activities, like stress management, like your food choices, like your exercise, um, and a whole raft of things control the switches to turn on or turn off your genes. And by that mechanism, there's a huge amount of research now in aging mechanisms. Which epigenes are important? Which genes are important? Are there ways of churning off the aging that we have? And there are 14 areas of aging. And so I think with an 80% probability, sometime in the new decade, we're going to recognize that 90 can be the new 40. That is, just imagine, and, and this is really tough because people don't understand this intuitively because we think linearly, but there's an exponential change. So you're going to be, if you, when you're 90, Dave, you may at, be a, physiologically like you are when you were 40. And people say, well, wait a second. And, and so I look at it this way. Um, how old are you now? 62. And what was your life expectancy when you were born? Do you know? You Not were born in that. <laughs> what? Not much more than now. <laughs> so you, that's right. So your life expectancy was around 70. That's right. Well, you're planning on living past that. My life expectancy, I'm 75 now. My life expectancy when I was born was around 67, 66. So I've already outlived it by eight years. Well, we're going to have, instead of a linear growth, we've gained 2.5 years in life expectancy every 10 years since about 1890. But instead of this, we're going to have this 30-year jump in the next decade with an 80% probability. And that means we're going to have much more productive human capital for a lot longer. It also means that everything we do because of compounding makes a bigger difference. And if we do things right with this increase in human capital, we'll be able to get rid of a lot of wealth inequality 
and we'll be able to, in fact, make the government's finances, make our own retirement finances, and enrich the whole world by making it much better. You mentioned uh, 14 therapies that you thought would be- 14 areas of research. 14 areas of research. Could, could you tell us some of the most promising ones that you're seeing? Uh, well, um, I don't know if you, I mean, we can go on for a long time here. But just rattle off three or four. I'm going to go, so senolytics, which is harvesting uh-huh. old cells and uh, now misfolded proteins. And let me give you the example. So um, <clears throat> when uh, you, and this started in the 60s, in 1960s, when they did a, um, if you will, a parabiotic experiment giving, con- connecting the circulation of old rats and young rats. And what happened is the old rats became younger, the young rats became older physiologically, their system. That now has led to um, a, what we call therapeutic plasma exchange, where instead of using a rat to rat or human to human, um, or taking blood from a young Uh, from a young guy and giving it to us old guys, they actually hook us up to a therapeutic plasma exchange, give us our own cells back, but give us new proteins, new plasma, and new saline, new stuff, clean up our, our, if you will, the stuff that travels with the cells. And what's happened? Well, in mice, what happens with just one of those is for years, as long as they've studied it, their muscles, their pancreas, everything else becomes younger by getting rid of those old proteins. That's harvesting old cells. And you say, why do we have old cells? Well, there's a, there's a reason we have old cells that signal. And it is an old cell makes the cells around it older. That is, your neighbors are important at the cellular level, too. And by getting rid of those old cells, you get rid of the older cells becoming old, and they all function younger, especially if you regenerate them. And that's another area which we'll get to in a second, stem cell regeneration. But this one is senolytics. And now in a study by the AMBAR group out of Spain, and it's an international study, so some of the work was done at the University of Pittsburgh and some at the Cleveland Clinic, giving people with dementia, early dementia, a therapeutic plasma exchange once a week for six weeks and then once a month for six months. When it, it stopped the progression of dementia, it slowed the progression of dementia by 65%, and after six months, and they only followed them after that, it looks like it stopped it. Well, what are they doing? They're getting rid of, if you will, older proteins. Now, there's another aspect of this, which is some of us are born with genes that create misfolded proteins. And can you edit out those genes? So that's another one of the areas, editing DNA, that's CRISPR-Cas9. And one of those things they've done is they've done it with sickle cell anemia, getting rid of the protein of the genes or inactivating the gene that by this DNA editing. So how does CRISPR-Cas9 work? It, you give it on a virus, the virus gets into your DNA you then identify the gene that you don't want or that you don't want turned on and you inactivate it or you just cut it out. It's like a scissors, snip scissors. Um, the, uh, um, if, you, if you will, what that does is um, it eliminates the production of that abnormal hemoglobin and more normal hemoglobin is produced. So those people with sickle cell anemia can now live with much less pain and with better oxygen delivery. 
Another example that is just tried in six people published last week was one of the cases of heart failure is amyloid induced, accumulation of amyloid. And it's caused by abnormal folding of a protein. The protein is made and just one, one gene error occurs. And these people develop heart failure. Well, and they develop it at 62 to 70. It's not like they're developing at 20, but they're developing it at a, but with heart failure, they live about 18 months disabled, really unable to do much and without being able, their heart doesn't pump as well. Their heart just doesn't pump as well, but radically decreased pumping. But they sent in on a virus, a Cas, uh, CRISPR-Cas9 that identified, snipped out that gene, eradicated that misfolded protein and they expect these people to live at least 18 years more, not 18 months, 18 years with great human productivity. So that's the second of the areas of research, but it is, again, it is uh, building on a lot of the human genome project um, and it changes things radically. Imagine you had 18 months to live and you were gonna be disabled, now you got 18 years to live or maybe more and you're and with one shot and you're not disabled anymore. You're able to do play with your grandkids or go back to work or whatever you want to do. Um, I can, I can tell you one of the areas of immunotherapy and I'm laughing at this because um, one of, and, and this is a great advance and it's something to laugh and smile about is um, one of the people we were working with and whose story is in the, the new book, the Great Age Reboot book, um, was a, uh, is a, was a great uh, physician from the Cleveland Clinic who headed up um, electrophysiology lab. Well, he came down with a very severe form of a white blood cell cancer. And they gave him literally six months to live. But he got an immunotherapy where they experimentally turned on the, a gene. They, gave, they took his T cells, they got them to reprogram them in culture so they would attack the cancer. And guess what? He retired because he thought he only had six months to live. He's now... <laughs> cancer free that's the happy news and saying maybe i shouldn't have retired maybe i should have taken a leave of absence but in any case um he I, incredibly so that's another area this dna and immuno and immunology um combination people have said you know the pandemic shortens life expectancy right and the cdc said we've lost a year of life expectancy well that's a really misnomer because it is what we call period life expectancy. And what they do is they've said the kids born today will only live 77 years as opposed to 78 or 79 from a year or two years ago. But that assumes the way the CDC calculates and the way the period life expectancy is calculated, that assumes we're going to have the same death rates from each of the same diseases in going forward every year as we had in 2020. Well, hopefully the pandemic won't kill people the same way and we'll get rid of that and have a much lower death rate. And in fact, so I expect that in fact, our learning about immunology and vaccines will both extend life expectancy substantially rather than shorten it. Another one of the areas is stem cell production. Um, so your stem cells repair, I can, you know, how long do you want me to go on? I'm afraid I'm, I'm dominating the, the conversation by too long. <laughs> Just give us a couple, um, you know. So stem cells lines. are, so stem cells are what repair you. How did we find that our stem cells in our bone marrow repair you? Well, when you transplant a male heart into a female patient, if that female patient 
then has a heart attack on that male heart, what comes in to repair that male heart isn't male stem cells, it's female stem cells from that female, assuming blood flow is restored fast enough. But you only have so many stem cells. And so you don't keep repairing things. So what happens after a heart attack and you get to the hospital fast enough and you're young enough to have stem cells, the ejection fraction is down to, meaning the heart's pumping ability is down like a heart failure patient, 10 to 20%. But then as those new stem cells start to function, you get back to 60% over six weeks. That's because your stem cells have grown into and repaired that. But if you've only got a limited number of stem cells, the question is, how do we get more stem cells so we can repair ourselves? So they're growing your stem cells. They're learning with novel hyperbaric oxygen therapies, with some other intermittent fasting and refeeding, the way we've talked about in the, in the What to Eat When cookbook and What to Eat When book, they actually do the same thing. They get you to have produce more stem cells. And in culture, could we grow these stem cells in culture so that a person with a heart attack who didn't get blood flow restored in time or a person with a brain infarct who didn't get it restored in time and still has muscle difficulty can be restored. And so they did that at Stanford. First of all, they did their own stem cells, that person's own stem cells. They had motor defects lasting for six years or more. They then injected stem cells into the area of the brain where the motor, that motor function should have been. And guess what? Out of the 18 people they did it in, 11 had significant restoration of motor function. So stem cells is another one of uh, those areas. Um, and I, I, I guess one of my, the, the best of all, I'd say for last, if you will, which is that epigenetic transformation. Um, it is what we call induced tissue regeneration. So you have um, a fat cell that's a white fat cell and it causes, you don't look like you have it, but the rest of us who are not um, thin uh, have white fat. And you say, what does it do? Well, it increases inflammation, which increases heart attacks and strokes increases cancer, increases dementia, clearly increases type two diabetes. But that white fat came from multi-purpose fat cell, which really came from a stem cell, if you will. But that multi, but just imagine if we could take that white fat cell and regress it to a multi-purpose fat cell and turn it into a brown fat cell. Brown fat cells are what we have when we're newborn up in our chest and, and clavicle area because they metabolize, they have a lot more mitochondria, which is why they're brown. And they use calories and they get rid of obesity. So just imagine if we could do this and give you brown fat, take your white fat and do give you brown fat. That regression and progression to brown fat, they've done in lambs and mice and a few humans now and it gets rid of obesity. 50% of our medical costs in America now relate to osteoarthritis or diabetes or other problems that are triggered by obesity triggering those genes. Get rid of obesity, we save a huge amount of medical costs as well as a huge amount of dis Imagine no one need a, a, you getting rid of the osteoarthritis that is largely caused by obesity and white fat. Whoa, right? So that's another one of these areas of induced tissue. And that's all because we've, we're progressing in these areas of mechanisms of aging research. Amazing. Um, thank you for that. And... So now, and by the way, I've given yeah. you, I think I've given you five of them. Yep. So there are nine more that, that are, that are, and all of these yeah. because of the investment that the government made, that private foundations have made and that venture capital and pharma has made 
are are advancing exponentially. Mm. We don't understand. Most of us don't understand it. And Peter Diamandis says it best. You know, if you take one linear step for 30 days, you get 30 steps closer to your 30 yards closer. But if you take one exponential step for 30 days, you've gone around the world 26 times. Um, so it's one, two, four, eight, 30, 16, 32, et cetera. And it really accumulates. So we really can um, have a tough time with this understanding the exponential change. And it does cause an emotional, we will go through an emotional change like we have with every disruptor should this come to pass. That's going to be a whole topic that we're going to get to in the next, the next time we speak. I, I think that's something that people are not thinking about at all. Um, no, it, it changes, uh, no. changes education. It changes yep. the number of people. The good news is it changes inequality. And if we do it right, it really reduces wealth inequality, reduces, it changes the way population functions and housing, et cetera. So it's virtually insurance, banking, every other field. So I look forward to talking to you about it. Let's move on to TMAO. Now, when I first heard this from you, and I mentioned it to some other people, they were like, what? What, you know? So tell me, what is TMAO? What does it do? And, and what do we need to know about this? Well, what Stan Hazen found around 2000, and I think five to eight, was that when you eat and let me drop back a little bit. Um, we knew, um, excuse me for a second. We knew um, that um, cholesterol and our known risk factors for heart disease did not make sense in the sense of they couldn't cause it all. Right. And we knew that the cholesterol from an egg yolk or from red meat couldn't be responsible for the heart attacks and inflammation those cause. So Stan Hazen and his group had been working on trying to find out what are the other 50% of heart attacks and strokes caused by. And what they found was that we have a lot of inflammation because of eating red meat or processed red meat or egg yolks. And what they found was that this is caused by trimethylamine oxide. And the trimethylamine oxide is a very strong, in human studies, correlate of heart disease, stroke, cancer, and dementia. And in animal studies can cause the acceleration of these disease processes. And where does it come from? It comes from trimethylamine. If you eat red meat or processed red meat or egg yolks or cheese, that changes the bacteria inside you. So bacteria adapt to your food and they metabolize it. One of the metabolites is trimethylamine. Trimethylamine goes to the liver and becomes trimethylamine oxide, which increases inflammation in the rest of your body. That's why it's associated with causing heart disease, stroke, mental dysfunction, cancer, kidney disease, etc. And so Stan said, we've got to find something that will inhibit this production. Well, trimethylamine, now, if you go across the world, there are 13 studies substantiating Stan's work showing that trimethylamine, um, TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, is a very strong potential, <coughs> excuse me, either potential cause or cause of inflammation and heart disease, stroke, memory loss, etc. And Stan still says, you know, I love steak. I've got to find something that inhibits the bacterial production of trimethylamine. 
Um, but in the meantime, we can measure trimethylamine. And in some place between 82 and, or eight, and 88% of Americans who eat red meat and processed red meat and egg yolks and cheese, if you, eat, you will change the bacteria. And we'll find out, are you in that 82% that does that? Or are you in the 18% that can eat steak with abandon? So it is the genome and the genetics of the bacteria inside your gut that does this. So you can measure trimethylamine and you can find out. Now, it takes, to change the bacteria inside you, it takes both apparently saturated fat and carnitine, lecithin, and choline. So giving you carnitine pills, but not giving you saturated fat at the same time, no problem. Giving you um, red meat, which has saturated fat and carnitine as a breakdown amino acid, that's the problem. So that's where trimethylamine oxide, you can measure it, you can find out how to reduce it, and you can reduce some of its effects by just taking a baby aspirin twice a day. Check with your doctor for everything I say, obviously. But that's one of the ways of decreasing the inflammation that comes from it. So uh, if you want to see, is your diet likely to cause it? Uh, and by the way, Stan Hazen still says within two years, he's going to have something that inhibits the production of trimethylamine from the bacteria when they get carnitine less than choline and saturated fat together. By the way, fish, if you eat that old fish smell, you know, if you leave fish out for a while and it gets, starts to be, that's trimethylamine. And um, so um, you want to buy, you want to, before you get your trimethylamine test, the, the fish will raise it for a day because that's the bacteria metabolizing the fish meat. So, um, in fact, uh, so um, you can eat fish, but it's got to be fresh fish or frozen, fresh fro frozen immediately where it's caught uh, to not raise your trimethylamine oxide level. So don't, so the day before you get your trimethylamine level measured, if you do that, um, don't eat uh, fish. So a question for you. Um, a lot of people take fish oil. I take fish oil. Um, do I want to then be careful of, so rancid fish oil then sounds like not such a good thing. I'm getting TMAO. Should I keep my fish oil in the fridge or the freezer? Oh, it, it's, not, it, it's not from the fish oil oil it's from the bacteria metabolizing the fish meat oh i see so gotcha fish oil um now rancid fish oil shouldn't be uh, consumed either right but um fish oil so in in the liquid form fish oil should be kept in the refrigerator but most fish oil is now in in capsules and mm -hmm. and in jars now um i'm looking for a prop uh, which I don't have on my desk, but I'm a fish oil. So you look on the bottom of the bottle. So some of the brown bottles that we keep fish oil in um, are don't allow oxygen in. That's the one you want. Um, some of them allow oxygen through the pores of the plastic, which can make the fish oil rancid. And um, that rancidity is a different form of oil, not the healthy... Uh, EPA or DHA or AHA. So now we're going to get personal, Mike. How much coffee do you drink? Um, I uh, <laughs> drink, I, um, well, I'll, I'll get a confession. So I, I was at nine cups a day. I'm now about six cups a day. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and uh, that's because the data show that uh, under six cups, you decrease your risk of type 2 diabetes of nine cancers by 20 to uh, 30%. Uh, including breast and prostate, and of uh, um, uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia by between 30 and 60%. So, I gotta stop you here. Decrease all cause mortality, um, and it varies between uh, 12 and, and 30%. By drinking six cups of coffee a day. Yeah, or you could do the same thing, we think, with green tea um, and or even with uh, decaffeinated coffee. It looks like it's got about half the effect. 
So it's not just the caffeine. It looks like it may be the polyphenols in the bean as well. Um, now, you got to do it without sugar and without cream, and you got to do it through a filter, and Keurig machines have a filter on it. Um, I don't have any stock in that. I just wanted to make sure because I always get asked, what about Keurig? And it does. Um, French press doesn't. Uh, and is this, I heard you say something about this is related to glutathione production. Is that, did I get that right? Um, well, we don't know whether it's, we don't know what it, what it really does. It does in, in blueberries and, and acetylcholine and, and uh, coffee do increase um, glutathione inside the mitochondria. At least they've been reported to do that. So we don't know whether it's that, but it does correlate with that, obviously, since the more coffee, the more glutathione production. Wow. And, and that's also, by the way, the best way of increasing your in-cell antioxidants, which are the important ones, um, is uh, physical activity is one of the best things. I just got to ask you, like, so, so when you're in your nine cup phase, how did this affect your sleep? It didn't. Um, you know, this this goes. <laughs> it's a lot of coffee, Mike. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, it didn't affect it at all. Um, I, I, I can tell. I'm laughing because I can tell a whole bunch of fun stories because of this. But um, I if you look at my genome. If you do 23andMe, um, it will say I am a slow metabolizer of coffee, which means I should get headache, gastric upset, anxiety, um, and uh, abnormal heartbeats from a cup of coffee. Obviously, I have changed that <laughs> gene to being off or turned on one. And I did that with uh, probably Diet Dr. Pepper. So I used to, <laughs> this is a confession. Um, I'm going to come right back with a prop, I think. I can't wait to hear how Diet Dr. Pepper in, in, is involved in so the great I, age. I drank 36 <laughs> Diet Dr. Peppers a day. I had to become Mike. a friend of the, no, no, this is until 19, <laughs> I'll tell you. So um, I used to have pallets delivered. You know how they deliver in <laughs> store and pallets? I would have seven pallets, for 28 cases delivered a month. And then I would buy some, you know, for work, et cetera. So on, uh, <laughs> on September 4th at uh, 2010, at I think uh, um, 4.20 in the afternoon, my administrative assistant, Beth uh, Grubb and uh, Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, um, did an intervention. She conspired <laughs> with him and live on TV, um, so this is the last soda. <laughs> this is literally the last uh, container of soda I have ever drank. Um, none since 2010. And so that's when I switched uh, to coffee. And you read the data and you say, well, I shouldn't have sugar with it. And I shouldn't have cream with it. And so I went from, I was having a little cream and sugar in, uh, before then. And so in 2010, I switched to sugar and cream free. Um, and uh, went to uh, nine cups. So if you look at the genome, I've obviously changed uh, my uh, functioning of, of that uh, gene to be able to metabolize, uh, uh, turned on the, uh, um, the CYP enzyme responsible for metabolizing caffeine. So, Mike, okay, so, so in fact, I used to have to wake up in the middle of the night to have a Diet Dr. Pepper <laughs> to not go into withdrawal. So I, so it didn't affect my sleep at all, except I was worried about withdrawal in the middle of the night. So, <laughs> so were were you the wellness office officer at the Cleve, the chief wellness officer at the Cleveland Clinic, getting pallets of Diet Dr. Pepper? It just seems like a little bit of a contradiction, Mike. I'm just saying. Well, I stopped. You know, it's only that was only two years of uh, the time I was chief wellness officer. So that was probably it was probably September of 2007. So three years of as chief wellness officer before Dr. Oz did the intervention. Oh, that's hysterical. Um, uh, okay, talk to me about um, LDL. 
I see that, you know, you're recommending an LDL under 70. That's really low. Um, well, the, the data are pretty clear that if you get under 70, um, that it's hard to have a heart attack or stroke. And so that's the, obviously the only reason to treat their LDL cholesterol does a lot of good things as a cell lining and as a signaling compound, et cetera. But the bad thing is it is a key constituent of plaque. Um, and we know that if you get it low enough um, and there's a debate over numbers and there's a debate about HDL, et cetera. But if you get the LDL on in general below 70, it's very tough to have a heart attack or stroke. But um, my, that's why my, we do it. Uh, help me to understand. I, I, I think that the LDL is, I think there's six different kinds of particles in LDL, right? They're sort of big ones and small ones. Yeah. So um, the, the more, there is a group of people who believe it's important to know particle size. And one of the, since most insurance companies don't pay for that, we do a, an inexpensive test called apolipoprotein B, which is covered by most insurance companies, which reflects the size. So you want the, your apolipoprotein B below 80, if you can get it there certainly below 90, because that reflects particle size as well. So, um, but it is in general, if you get your LDL and your apolipoprotein B based on that below, LDL below 70, apolipoprotein B below um, 80 or 90, you're, um, and, and the reason I'm saying the apolipoprotein B below 80 or 90 is, I don't think we know as well on that. It hasn't been studied as well um, to look at the what the what the number is that's as hard to have a heart attack. But it's someplace in that range. Um, that will you know that's the goal of both diet and exercise and stress management and if need be statin therapy. I've got now, mine. statin therapy also decreases yeah. inflammation, so it has another benefit. Uh huh. I've gotten. I feel pretty good. I got mine. My LDL is down to a hundred, and uh, seventy seems like wow. <laughs> so sure you, you you've gotten it down to a hundred with diet and exercise and stress management. Yeah. 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 So most people do need a statin, or now they're four other alternative therapies to get it there, including bempedoic acid and, and the uh, PK. And there are a whole bunch of therapies that your doctor will be able to talk to you about um, if you don't want a statin. But statins have a additional benefit, the, the um, atorvastatin and rosuvastatin, that is the old Lipitor and Crestor, the generic forms of them they have that additional benefit of being anti-inflammatory. So that's another benefit that they confer. And talk to me a little bit about um, cancer marker tests. Um, and I know there's been a lot of that out there now. I, I, there's a couple that were mentioned to me, there's, there's CEA tests and a CA-125. Yeah, they're pretty nonspecific. And unless you have a real indication, the false positives are um, cause more anxiety and seem to overwhelm the true positives. And let me give you the example. So there's even a blood test called a Grail test now. Um, and but and we we do in in certain people a thin sliced MRI, as well as we do a lot of preventive tests, if you will, in prior smokers and colonoscopy and pap smears and uh, PSA um, derivatives tests. Um, these are all to try and spot things before well, they're localized to an organ. The problem we have with, with for example, the blood test for cancer that you mentioned is if 
the chance of having the disease is one in a thousand. And the accuracy of the test is 99. That is the, the sensitivity, positivity in disease. Let's say it's 99%. You're going to pick up all, almost all of the one in a thousand. But its specificity is 99%. So one out of every hundred will be falsely positive. Thus, if you do it in a thousand tests, you get one true positive and 10 false positives, or 90% of the tests plus will be false positive. Well, that will engender a lot of anxiety as you do a search for where is this cancer that's causing the abnormal cancer cells. So we're, th these tests are still being refined. My, there will be a, there is a place for some of them. So for example, the Grail test in breast cancer, it will show when you've got early metastases and you might do it in someone who um, as a screening test for someone who's got a breast lump to find out if there's a metastasis and where, et cetera. But the, the, the use of it as a screening test, the way we use, um, for example, TMAO or the way we use LDL um, as a prevention, as something that we can do to, to help us be in as best shape as possible, or even the way we use exercise programs, isn't there yet for the blood, blood screening for cancer. It just occurred to me, do you think these could be used as tracking indicators? So if you, you just say you, you, you ran these tests now, and then if something showed up, sort of you have some like weird lump in yourself, and then you run them again, and you see like, is, has there been an acceleration in the number or something? Would that, is that useful? Um, I don't know. I'm just making that up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that we know that. So I don't okay. know the answer to that. Okay, we won't go there. Uh, so um, a couple of things. You've got something coming up called the Global Wellness Summit, which I spoke at a couple of years ago. Tell me about that. What What is this? And, and So, and so the Global Wellness Summit is both uh, a streaming and in-person event in Boston, November, or I think it's 30th to December 3rd. And it is really the um, global affair. It is the global get-together of everyone who has an interest in, as they say, eliminating preventable disease. That is, how do we do the moonshot so that anyone who has a preventable predisposition doesn't get the disease? And it is the people in the spa industry and the people in the fitness industry and the people in the stress management industry and the people in the medical, like myself. All of us are getting together in this um, under the great, under the auspices of the Global Wellness Summit to discuss how do we help people, how do we help societies, what do we do to help people eliminate preventable disease, and how do we do that in our own practices and in our own, um, if you will, day-to-day -day businesses. It's a remarkable, I, I was in Singapore there um, a couple ah. of years ago, and it, it was a remarkable experience. I, I have to say that, that the amount of knowledge in the room is extraordinary. Yes, the amount of knowledge um, in the room is extraordinary. I look forward, I learn from it every every year. Um, and so uh, there will be some things on longevity. So I'm going to learn about a bunch on that. There are things on uh, what, what type of massage is the best. There are things on um, the, if you will, how do you do wellness real estate? What is the best way to promote um, by building uh, a both the building being healthy for society and for the environment and the individuals who use that building being encouraged to stay healthy and to help society uh, control or, or make it as healthy as a world as we can. So there's stuff on, uh, if you will, changes in lighting. There's changes in um, the UV light to kill viruses. There's uh, talk on um, how sustainability in real estate, 
um, both from a carbon footprint and a um, whole bunch of other aspects, but also for, for how do we promote the human wellness? Wonderful. And, and it's digital um, also this year. So you don't, as I know, they're, they're still, depending on where you live in the world, there's some travel. To right. So um, you don't have to come to Boston, but Boston is a great center of, of science in um, the wellness area and, and in aging. And so we're going to learn a lot about it. And I think you got a book coming out soon. Is that right? Um, that's right. I have in January is, is you've been uh, kind enough to be attending the, the Great Age Reboot Workshops uh, that the Cleveland Clinic's put on where the book comes out um, January 4th. As you can see, this is an advanced reader copy. So uh, um, it's got some errors in it still, but this is the one we send to the press to, so that they will write. But the cover is the same and you can pre-order it now on Amazon or bn.com or hopefully through your local independent store. You're such a busy guy, Mike. Is it? A- <laughs> I love I, it's what drives, you know, people say, what are your hobbies? Well, I used to be an avid squash player and uh, now my hobbies are, are family and uh, medicine. And I am a true science nerd. I read about, uh, you know, I, people say, well, what do you do when you get free time? I read medical articles. I, I just love it. So, uh, you know, what, what do I say? I'm, I'm enthralled with the, uh, my avocation and my vocation are the same, which is uh, advancing medical knowledge and, and helping people make behavior change. You know, before we get on the call, before we started recording, I saw you moving in a strange way. Are, do you have one? I'm on a... I, my desk is a treadmill. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll show you. My desk is a treadmill. Um, that's right. I have a treadmill desk, and I do this most of the day. Um, and so, uh, as I showed you, um, the uh, um, that's what I do when I'm reading and writing. I, for a podcast, if we were just doing an oral podcast, I could still do it. Um, because the sound doesn't make much noise, but since you were uh, had it on video, I said, uh, I can't uh, do this the whole time, but you'll go crazy, <laughs> as will the uh, as will your viewers. I think it looks great. Um, so what else? Um, we got a, just a couple more minutes here, Mike. What have we not touched on that you want people to know about? Um, I think if I was going to say, um, Two things is one, um, we've got to under we've got to get people. Let me stop this. I'm sorry for doing it. Um, we've got to get people to understand that they really do control the switches yeah. that control the genes that are on or not. So you can self-engineer to a large degree until this reboot happens, and then you'll be much better prepared for it. I call it climbing the staircase. Um, for the reboot takeoff. The second thing I want to say is that it isn't just living longer and healthier. It's why you're doing it. And so your posse and your passions really matter. And so you've got to think about how do we develop those friendships? And I hope, Dave, you and I can be friends from now on. And how do we develop those friendships and how do you keep those passions alive? Um, and so those are the key things in life. I mean, that's we're humans and we live for those connections and for those uh, things we can do to make the world a better place. And so those are the things, that's the reason you need a reason for doing it and probably a buddy to help you do all those things. So having a buddy, doing all these things and those passions are key. That's wonderful. Um, I agree with that hundred um, percent. We talk about that a lot here. It's really, you need, um, you need a sense of purpose and um, purpose is the antidote to despair. Um, That's right. <laughs> right? And uh, having a gang around you of like-minded people really helps if, uh, and I think that that's, uh, you know, one of the things we find is that as people age, like you and I have been, there's a lot of editing that goes on and it's not just editing the closet. 
it's editing the people who are around us and we tend to mimic the behavior of those around us. So um, surround yourself with people who are doing good things. Right. Your cells, the neighborhood of your cells and your own neighborhood of you matter as well. So it's, it's not just fruit that, that makes things better or rotten, depending on who their neighbors are. It's, it's ourselves and ourselves. That's right. Well said. Um, Mike, I look forward to another conversation um, in a couple of months, and I look forward to seeing you at Global Wellness. That's going to be great. I look forward to it, too. All right. And thanks for your time. You there yeah. too. Thank you, and let's keep in touch. Absolutely. I'd love that. Take care now. So would I. Mike's new book is called The Great Age Reboot. It's available for pre-order on Amazon now. And I got to say, I'm still chuckling to myself about the Dr. Pepper stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, hey, if you like the show this week, please share it with your friends. Um, see, maybe they'll get something useful out of it too. Uh, and maybe leave us a comment. We like that. Um, hit the rating button wherever you listen to us. If you're on Spotify or iTunes or Google. And join us next week for another great show. If you would like to send me a comment, you have a question, you have a suggestion for the show or something for Dr. Mike, give me a shout, david at superage.com, and we'll get back to you right away. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Take care now. Mm-hmm.